Hello, saints and sinners. It's time for the Church Folk Podcast. This is the podcast that examines the spiritual journey that Christians and other people of faith are taking and how religion is working for them or not working for them. Thanks for streaming and downloading this podcast. We look forward to an invigorating conversation. Let's do this. Women in the Church, Part 2. So we have two women in the Bible. One was an assassin, that was J.L. And we had Abigail, who was a diplomat, for lack of a better term. And these are two women we don't hear enough about or anything about for whatever reason. Probably because most of the preaching and curriculum is set by men. Another woman that is very important in the church is Jarena Lee. She was a preacher. Now, these days, that might not be so unusual, except she was probably the first black woman preacher. She was born in 1783 in New Jersey. She ended up attending uh, Bishop Richard Allen's church. And Richard Allen is the founder of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. So Richard Allen was the founder of the AME Church, African American or African Methodist Episcopal Church, which was the first independent black denomination in the United States. He opened that church about four years after Jarena was born. Jarena Lee also was one of the first black women, if not the first black woman, to write Uh, her own autobiography, and that's called The Religious Experience and Journal of Mrs. Jarena Lee. Jarena Lee was called to preach, and she's got quite a story, and if you read her autobiography, what you'll see is some common themes that go even today in regards to spiritual journeys and spiritual walks. And when she was a child, she was forced to work. Although she was born free, she wasn't born rich, so she had to work. She did not grow up in a religious household. She came to find religion, um, I was going to say on her own, but by following God. And if you read her autobiography, you'll find some very common themes as I indicated before. And what I'm going to do is read probably a lot from her autobiography so you can get a better feel of her journey and how unusual it was for her to have the courage to ask to be a preacher back in the early 1800s, I guess it probably was. Uh, Even today, it's probably somewhat of a um, brave journey that women have to go through to become uh, leaders of churches and preachers in the church. So, she was plagued with thoughts of suicide and depression, as far as I could determine, uh, throughout her childhood and probably into her teens. And this is a description of one of her bouts with not only 
depression, I would call it, and suicidal thoughts, but with Satan, because she calls it out. So I'm going to read from her journal here. This description of my condition struck me to the heart and made me feel, in some measure, the weight of my sins and sinful nature. But not knowing how to run immediately to the Lord for help, I was driven of Satan in the course of a few days and tempted to destroy myself. So I think at this time she'd gone to maybe a sermon and the preacher had had uh, talked about um, how everyone was sinners and she took it to heart and, and probably um, thought maybe too much about it. It seemed as if someone was speaking to me saying, Put your head under. So what was happening here, she saw this, uh, she was near this, this brook, near a stream. Put your head under will not distress you, but by some means of which I can give no account, my thoughts were taken entirely from this purpose when I went from the place to the house again. It was the unforeseen arm of God which saved me from self-murder. But notwithstanding this escape from death, my mind was not at rest. But so great was the labor of my spirit and the fearful oppression of a judgment to come that I was reduced as one extremely ill, on which account a physician was called to attend me, from which illness I recovered in about three months. So it sounds like she was actually worried sick about her sins and, and the judgment to come as a sinner. After my recovery, I left the lady who during my sickness was exceedingly kind and went to Philadelphia. From this place, I soon went a few miles into the country where I resided in the family of a Roman Catholic. So at this time, she had really no access to a, a lot of religion. And, and I believe she not, had not even had her own Bible is was what I'm inferring from, from the readings that I've done. But my anxiety still continued respecting my poor soul, on which account I used to watch my opportunity to read in the Bible. And this lady observing this took the Bible from me and hid it, giving me a novel in its stead, which when I perceived, I refused to read. So here she thinks she lucks out. She's with these Roman Catholics. She's going to get you know, some more religious knowledge, and, and of course, the, the, I was going to say the Catholics, the woman, the woman takes the Bible and, and hides it. Soon after this, I went again to the city of Philadelphia and commenced going to the English church, the pastor of which was an Englishman by the name of Pilmore, one of the number who at first preached Methodism in America in the city of New York. So she meets this Methodist. But while sitting under the ministration of this man, which was about three months, and at the last time it appeared that there was a wall between me and a communion with that people, which was higher than I could possibly ever see over, and seemed to make this impression upon my mind. This is not the people for you. But on returning home at noon, I required of the head cook of the house respecting the rules of the Methodists, 
as I knew she belonged to that society, who told me who they were, on which account I replied that I should not be able to abide by such strict rules, not even one year. However, I told her I would go with her and hear what they had to say. So, sounds like she met this sister who was a head cook. They go to AME Church. She says, come check us out. It's not, you know, the Methodist you've heard about. Let's see what happens. The man was who was to speak in the afternoon of that day was the Reverend Richard Allen, since Bishop of the African Episcopal Methodist in America. So that's where she had a more um, palatable experience with the church. From the day on which I first went to the Methodist church until the hour of my deliverance, I was strangely buffeted by that enemy of all righteousness, the devil. So what's going on there is there's a, just a continuing battle with with the with Satan, he's trying to get her to kill herself. She, he's 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 um, influencing. I don't know if he's doing it, but what's happening is she's just having a hard uh, time receiving religion compared to a lot a lot of people where religion is easily available to them, but they never really take advantage of it. I was naturally of a lively turn of disposition, and during the space of time. From my first awakening until I knew my peace was made with God, I rejoiced in the vanities of life and then again sunk back into sorrow. So what, again, I'm not going to be a, a psychologist or psychiatrist, but it sounds like, you know, manic depressive, suicidal thoughts. Um, she's having a tough time mentally. For four years I continued in this way, frequently laboring under the awful apprehension that I could never be happy in this life. This persuasion was greatly strengthened during the three weeks, which was the last of Satan's power over me in this peculiar manner, on which account I had come to the conclusion that I had better be dead than alive. Here again, I was tempted to destroy my life by drowning, but suddenly this mode was changed. And while in the dusk of the evening, as I was walking to and fro in the yard of the house, I was beset to hang myself with a cord suspended from the wall enclosing the secluded spot. But no sooner was the intention resolved in my mind than an awful dread came over me, which I ran into the house. When I ran into the house, still, the tempter pursued me. There was standing a vessel of water. Into this I was strangely impressed to plunge my head so as to extinguish the life which God had given me. Had I done this, I have always been of the opinion that I should have been unable to have released myself, although the vessel was scarcely large enough to hold a gallon of water. Of me may it not be said, as written by Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 1 and 2, I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. Glory be to God for his redeeming power, which saved me from the violence of my own hands, from the malice of Satan, 
and from eternal death, for I have killed myself. A great ransom could not have delivered me, for it is written, No murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. How appropriately can I sing, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. So you can see the life experience she she is um, building up to use in her ministry going forward. I'm sure she's using and has told this story, you know, in, in her preaching travels, and, and she's using it to great effect. As many of the best, best preachers can, they're using real life to communicate their experience and message with God to other people. She continues, But notwithstanding the terror which seized upon me, when about to end my life, I had no view of the precipice on the edge of which I was tottering until it was over when my eyes were opened. Then the awful gulf of hell seemed to be opened beneath me, covered only as it was by a spider's web on which I stood. I seemed to hear the howling of the damned, to see the smoke of the bottomless pit, and to hear the rattling of those chains, which hold the impenitent under the clouds of darkness to the judgment of the great day. I trembled like Beelzebar and cried out in the horror of my spirit, God be merciful to me, the sinner. That night I formed a resolution to pray, which, when resolved upon, there appeared, sitting in one corner of the room, Satan, in the form of a monstrous dog, and in a rage, as if in pursuit, his tongue protruding from his mouth to a great length, and his eyes looked like two balls of fire. It soon, however, vanished out of my sight. From this state of terror and dismay, I was happily delivered under the preaching of the gospel, as before related. This view, which I was permitted to have of Satan in the form of a dog, is evidence which corroborates, in my estimation, the Bible account of a hell of fire with burneth with brimstone, called in the scriptures a bottomless pit, the place where all liars who repent not shall have their portion, and also the Sabbath breaker, the adulterer, the fornicator, with the fearful, the abominable, and the unbelieving. This shall be the portion of their cup. So this is a woman I would go here on a Sunday. <laughs> and uh, she's getting to the point where she is um, believing that she is going to have a calling. So she continues, and I'm skipping around, by the way, and, and I would encourage you to pick up uh, her, her autobiography, which is available on for free on Google. By increasing, by the increasing light of the Spirit, I have found there yet remain the root of pride, anger, self-will, with many evils, the result of fallen nature. I now became alarmed at this discovery and began to fear that I had been deceived by my experience. So she, she's beginning to doubt her spiritual journey and, and everything she's been through. I was now 
greatly alarmed lest I should fall away from what I knew I had enjoyed, and to guard against this I prayed almost incessantly without acting faith on the power and promises of God to keep me from falling. I had not yet learned how to war against the temptation of this kind. Satan well knew that if he could succeed in making me disbelieve my conversion, that he would catch me either on the ground of complete despair or on the ground of infidelity. For all I passed through was going to go for nothing and was but a fiction. The mere ravings of a disordered mind that I would naturally be led to believe that there were no, there was nothing in religion at all. From this snare I was mercifully preserved and led to believe that there was yet a greater work than that of a pardon to be wrought in me. I retired to a secret place. After having sought this blessing as well as I could for nearly three months, from the time Brother Scott had instructed me respecting it for prayer, about four o'clock in the afternoon. So she had met a gentleman, which she calls Brother Scott, which helped her on her spiritual journey and gave her some advice. I had struggled long and hard, but found not the desire of my heart. When I rose from my knees, there seemed to be a voice speaking to me. As I yet stood is a leaning in a leaning posture, ask for sanctification. When to my surprise, I recollected that I had not even thought of it in my whole prayer. It would seem Satan had hidden the very object from my mind for which I had purposely kneeled to pray. But when the voice whispered in my heart, saying, pray for sanctification, I again bowed in the same place at the same time and said, Lord, sanctify my soul for Christ's sakes. That very instant, as if lightning had darted through me, I sprang to my feet and cried, the Lord has sanctified my soul. There was none to hear this but the angels who stood around me to witness my joy, and Satan, whose malice raged the more. That Satan was there I knew, for no sooner had I cried out, The Lord has sanctified my soul, than there seemed to be another voice saying, No, it is too great a work to be done. But another spirit said, Bow down for the witness. I received it. Thou art sanctified. The first I knew of myself after that, I was standing in the yard with my hands spread out and looking with my face towards heaven. So this woman is having spiritual battles, spiritual journeys, spiritual doubt, and spiritual victories. And now comes the time when she's going to go to Bishop Allen and say, I am ready. So this is part of her um, autobiography is called My Call to Preach the Gospel. And it makes a lot more sense than if you just click around on the internet and, and read about it because they all jump to this part. It, like it just came out of nowhere, but this was a culmination of her journey for this woman. And like a lot of women, 
when they're on a journey and they run up against some guy who's not enlightened, it's a little more frustrating than you might can you might see on its surface. She goes on to write, between four and five years after my sanctification, on a certain time, an impressive sound silence fell upon me, and I stood as if someone was about to speak to me, yet I had no such thought in my heart. But to my utter surprise, there seemed to, there seemed to sound a voice which I thought I distinctly heard and most certainly understand, which said to me, Go preach the gospel. I immediately replied aloud, No one will believe me. Again I listened, and again the same voice seemed to say, Preach the gospel. I will put words in your mouth and will turn your enemies to become your friends. At first I supposed that Satan had spoken to me, for I had read that he could transform himself into an angel of light for the purpose of deception. Immediately I went into a secret place and called upon the Lord to know if he had called me to preach and whether I was deceived or not. When there appeared to my view the form and figure of a pulpit with a Bible lying thereon, the back of which was presented to me as plainly as it had been a literal fact. In consequence of this, my mind and heart became exercised. That night and following, I took a text and preached in my sleep. I thought there stood before me a great multi a multitude, which I expounded to them the things of religion. So violent was my exercise, my exhortations, and so loud were my exclamations, that I awoke from the sound of my own voice, which also awoke the family of the house where I resided. Two days, two days after that, I went to see the preacher in charge of the African Society, which was the Reverend Richard, Richard Allen, the same before named in these pages, to tell him that I felt my duty to preach the gospel. But as I drew near the street in which his house was, which was in the city of Philadelphia, my courage began to fail me. So terrible did the cross appear, it seemed that I should not be able to bear it. Previous to my settling out to go see him, so agitated was my mind that my appetite for my daily food failed me entirely. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. He said, she says, I now told him that the Lord had revealed it to me that, that I must preach the gospel. He replied by asking, and what spear had I wished to move in? I said, among the Methodists. He then replied, a Mrs. Cook, a Methodist lady, had also some time before requested the same privilege. So there were a woman who went before her, who it was believed had done much good in the way of exhortation and holding prayer meetings, and who had been permitted to do so by the verbal license of the preacher in charge at the time. But as to women preaching, he said that our discipline knew nothing about, nothing at all about it, that it did not call for women preachers. This I was glad to hear because it removed the fear of the cross. But no sooner did this feeling cross my mind than I found that a love of souls had in a measure departed from me. 
The holy energy which burned within me as a fire began to be smothered. This I soon perceived. So, here is a woman who's been through a lot, who is more than qualified spiritually, beginning to lose her mojo because she's got a guy who, as great as he may be in regards to founding the first black church, is not as enlightened as we would all hope. And I got to believe that that is true for many women on a regular basis. But she persisted. If a, the man may preach because the Savior died for him, why not the woman? Seeing he died for her also, is he not a whole Savior instead of half of one? As those who hold it wrong for a woman to preach would seem to make it appear, did not Mary first preach the risen Savior? And is not the doctrine of resurrection the very climax of Christianity? Hangs not all our hope on this, as argued by St. Paul? Then did not Mary a woman preach the gospel? For she preached the resurrection of the crucified Son of God. But some will say that Mary did not expound the scripture. Therefore, she did not preach in the proper sense of the term. To this I reply, it may be that the term preach in those primitive times did not exactly mean what it is now made to mean. Perhaps it was a great deal more simple then than it is now. If it were not, the unlearned fishermen could not have preached the gospel at all as they had no learning. Bishop Allen refused, but eight years later, during a Sunday service at the Mother Bethel, which is in Philadelphia, that was the home of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. It still is there today. It is the longest owned black piece of property in the country. Uh, so it's something you should probably visit if you go to Philadelphia and, and certainly attend services. Uh, during a service at the Mother Bethel, the preacher who was preaching, uh, as it says here in Wikipedia, seemed to lose spirit. Lee stepped up and took over and began to preach. The crowd was very intrigued with what she had to say, as you might imagine. Religious belief, especially in God's divine protection, became a source of self-empowerment for Lee. She took over and was a hit, and eight years later, Bishop Allen decided that she could preach, but she would have to preach as an itinerant preacher, so she would travel uh, and preach. And she traveled with this other woman over 2,000 miles, um, it's, it's recorded, and preached over 178 sermons. She's someone who persevered. She affected many lives. Uh, she, as, as I believe, she was informed by the spirit. She, she did have experiences where she would turn her enemies and uh, 
into converted. She had people who uh, at first gave her a hard time who became uh, converted and fans of hers, if you will, or people who followed and listened to her preach whenever she came to town. I think there was this one example of a gentleman who owned slaves who came to to listen to her preach and, and probably be hostile and, and, and heckle her, uh, and then ended up traveling as far as he could go whenever she came near uh, his, his plantation or, or wherever he lived. So in that regard, she became a powerful preacher and a great example, and she's someone who is impactful and is a pioneer that we should all be learning about on a regular basis. That is Jarena Lee. Well, church folk people, thank you for listening with me and engaging in my conversation to you in regards to the state of the church today. If you'd like to follow us, there are a number of ways you can keep in touch. You can follow us on Instagram at churchfolkpod. On Twitter at Church Folk Podcast, on Facebook at Church Folk Podcast, and on the web at churchfolkpodcast.com. And on our website, there's a way for you to communicate with me. There's a microphone in the lower right-hand corner. If you click that microphone, you can send me a message, you can make suggestions, and I'll even respond, if appropriate, to any messages you leave me. So I look forward to hearing you. Uh, from you on one of those channels. And until then, be blessed and stay safe.